Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hello, darkness, my old friend. I've come to talk with you again Because a vision softly creeping Left its seeds while I was sleeping And the vision that was planted in my brain Still remains within the sound of silence Well, EJ, I expected absolutely nothing from tonight, and I still came out of it disappointed. Uh, It was 34-20 Chiefs over Texans, and it really wasn't even that close. The only good thing as a Texans fan that I can take out of this entire game is that football is back. So that is the one thing I will be celebrating tonight. I will be trying my best to get over the fact that Kansas City once again embarrassed us on national television. A tradition as old as time at this point. Uh, So, EJ, I'm going to get out of the way for a second and go kind of lick my wounds in the corner. Why don't you tell the fine folks at home how you're doing uh, now that football's back? And, of course, uh, what are you drinking tonight? Well, I'm doing fantastic. Anybody that follows football, loves football, uh, talks about football as much as we do. This is almost a national holiday. It's it's Christmas in September. Football, real football, real live NFL football is back. And man, does that feel good. We've got storylines to talk about. We've got live game action. Uh, unfortunately, some injuries to talk about. But just in general, oh boy, it feels like a major weight lifted. We weren't sure we were going to see this. So I'm doing much better than you because I didn't have any real skin in the game tonight. Um, And as far as the drink goes, I figured it was indeed time to celebrate the kickoff of the season. So I decided to bring on a cocktail because you have been upping your cocktail game and I have just been, (laughs) you know, drinking beers. So I'm drinking it first off in my Walter Payton rocks glass, uh, which is, you know, celebratory for start of the season. Good to see sweetness on the outside. Put a little sweetness on the inside, too. Uh, I I I can hear the ice dangling and everything. Yes, indeed. You gotta love the gotta love the foley work here. No, uh, Jameson cold brew batch. So Jameson uh. whiskey with cold brew. Uh, I got some of that. I put a shot and a half of that in, and my wife was kind enough to bring back some cold brew flavored brandy. It is the original Allen's cold brew, rich coffee flavored brandy, small batch and handcrafted. I put a half a shot of that in it. Uh, the rocks you heard, uh, a dash of cream, a tiny touch of sugar, a little bit of milk just to round it out, stirred it up. Um, it's freaking delicious, and it's also serving two purposes. I did throw a little bit of Starbucks cold brew in there, like a shot, uh, just to give it a little bit of body. 
but it's serving to keep me awake because we are recording this fairly late at night after the game. It's been a very long day, and I figured if I drank a beer, I might fall asleep. So, you know, that's not too far off from uh, you know my my wife's grandfather, who's basically my grandfather too. Um, not that I live in Alabama or anything. I mean, he's like a grandfather to me, uh, but he's his favorite drink. <laughs> It's called a. Oh no, we're off the rails so far. I know people it's called a dirty mother, which is uh, Kahlua and brandy, and he loves that. So that's not too far off there. That's no. uh, I've I've had a lot of dirty mothers in my life, and I I love them. So uh, I'm just going straight whiskey because I, I have like, no comment about that. None. It's zero. I I I was on a trip this past week. A little liquor store, kind of in the middle of nowhere, had. Uh, it's called Brimstone from Balcones, which is Oh, a, you sent me a you sent me a picture of this. Ooh. I know what this is. It's basically Texas smoked brisket in a glass. Like it's it's <laughs> it's amazing. Uh you you taste just salty, peppery red meat. Like it it I I cannot describe it in any other way. It tastes like no other whiskey I have ever had in my life. And they actually smoke the whiskey. It's not like a peated scotch where you're kind of, um, you know, smoking the grain and then and then kind of throwing that into the match. Like, no, like they, they finish the whiskey and then they smoke it after. And so it's incredibly smoky. Um, of course they do. <laughs> it's crazy, crazy stuff, but it tastes incredible. Uh, and I'll tell you what, it's one of the few things that I've got in my cabinet that can drown out my sorrows tonight. So uh, tip of the cap to the boys over at Balconis over in Texas, uh, you guys do excellent work. But uh, I suppose we should talk about this game. Uh, we're going to have to eventually. And we're going to have to eventually. I can only put it off for so long. My first impression was we were correct about Clyde Edwards-Alaire. Uh, <laughs> this was our doomsday scenario, and my God, did he look good tonight. I'll, I'll read you off his stat line. 25 carries for a buck 38 and to be honest he was over over 120 yards at like 18 or 19 carries and then Houston really started you know playing the run when they were down by like 20 points so he, he kind of had to grind out the last few yards but um, at one point he was averaging nine yards a carry weirdly did not get any catches he did have a target but did not have any catches they didn't really get him as involved in the past games I expected but they certainly treated him as a bell cow uh, running back uh, just dominating the the snap count compared to Daryl Williams and, and everybody else in that backfield. So I I know that we expected Clyde to be good. I know we expected him to be a fixture in this offense, especially down in the red zone, and we were not disappointed. Yeah, if if we have sorrows to drown out, I, I feel like I'm sort of out of place here because I just don't have any sorrows. But um, here's my sorrow. We talked about this openly. We actually talked about it with Craig Stout after we had him on the podcast the day after Clyde Edwards-Hilaire was drafted. And in the in the run-up to that, we had a conversation. We said, you know, what are the odds that Clyde Edwards-Hilaire leads the Chiefs in yards from scrimmage this year? And this is pre their running back opting out, right? And I am sorrowful I didn't take that bet for actual money <laughs> at this point because, man, does that look like sure cash at this point. Um, yeah, 25 carries, 138 yards, five and a half yards a clip, a touchdown, uh, was targeted twice, didn't come up with any catches, which is odd if you followed his work at LSU because he's very proficient in the pass game. But uh, in the middle of my notes... 
I wrote down uh, in the middle of the first quarter, I was like, CEH runs to the middle, question mark? Because the Texans, you said they started playing the run when they were down. They played the run pretty tough for the first half of the first quarter. Uh, they had Watt lined <laughs> up minutes. at the nose. Yep, yep. <laughs> and starting took. off, they had two or three Edward Solaire runs. They mashed him into the middle of the line, and he got basically zero. He got a yard or two total. And right after I wrote that, he goes and nails one, right? He rips it mm-hmm. off, follows it off with a burst up the middle. And that was kind of the, that was the opening of the opening, right? After that, the runs came easier. He had more chunk yardage. He started to get into space where he's terribly, terribly difficult to contain. And sort of the route was on with the run after that. But for the first half of the first quarter, which is just everybody getting the jitters out, Texans stacked up the run fairly well. And the runs from Andy Reid were fairly straightforward you know Clyde over to up the middle so it didn't look like a very auspicious start but then yeah about that eight nine minute point of the, of the first quarter things started to open up and after that point it was very difficult for them to contain him and they were running a lot of the same stuff that that he ran at LSU it was duo it was inside zone it was basically we're doing everything we can to put Clyde one-on-one with a DB and saying Clyde go beat him and especially down in the fourth quarter, he was beating him. I mean, he lowered the boom on Eric Reed and just ran over this Texan secondary. And a lot of people look at his size and they said, okay, it's one thing to you know throw around college DBs. Can you do it in the pros? Damn straight he can do it in the pros. I mean, he was throwing big boys around. Uh, and I mean, even you know Zach Cunningham, who just got paid a lot of money, he's really good against the run. He was you know avoiding him and stiff arming him. Like he's he's a monster. He's he's my offensive rookie of the year pick for a reason. Uh, I it, It's going to probably be between him and his old teammate Burrow, but if I'm a betting man, and I am, I'm I'm taking Clyde for Offensive Rookie of the Year all day. He's he's phenomenal. Um, some other news and notes from this game, kind of things that I, I found interesting, uh, was Sammy Watkins uh, leading them in catches, leading them in receiving yards, uh, leading them in targets for receivers, and I was actually uh, on Craig's show for, uh, for AP Lab, and we were kind of having a, a talk after kind of off air about schematically, okay, how would this game be approached? And Houston plays a lot of man coverage. They were one of the, the highest teams in percentage of man coverage last year. And when you look at the metrics, believe it or not, KC was, uh, I don't want to say they were shut down by man coverage, but they were more effective against zone than they were against man. It's not like anybody ever really slowed them down that much, but you were almost certainly to get gashed if you played more zone than man. Even going back, you know, look at the Super Bowl. A lot of Casey's biggest plays were against zone rather than man coverage. So we're like, okay, Houston's going to play a lot of man. Uh, Casey struggled a little bit with man last year. Who's going to be the beneficiary of that? And believe it or not, we both talked about Sammy Watkins because he is the best route runner in the wide receiver core. Uh, he has really, really good hands. Like he is their possession receiver. And a lot of people would say, okay, well, what about Tyreek Hill? You can't play man on Tyreek Hill. Well, yeah, you can. Tyreek tends to be better against zone than he is against man. Just like a lot of their receivers. Meikle Hardman, again, better against zone than he is against man. Really their only man beaters were Travis Kelsey and Sammy Watkins. And Sammy obviously would get nicked up and everything like that. So there were some times when Travis was really the only good man beater they had on the field. And which is part of the reason why they drafted Clyde, obviously, because he's also a man beater. 
And so we talked off air about how we thought Sammy Watkins was going to have a big game, which he ended up having a big game because so much man coverage was played. And so going forward, when we look at all the other teams that Casey's going to be playing against that are going to try to follow the same model that Houston did early in the season last year, that the Colts did early in the season last year, where they both played a lot of man coverage, slowed this offense down, and um, you know caused KC to lose back-to-back home games, it's going to be a lot harder to follow that game plan now because they have Sammy healthy, because they have Clyde, who's really good at linebackers, and obviously they still have Travis too. Uh, and if you try to play against zone, they still have Tyreek, they still have Mecole. So the variety of passing threats that Kansas City has now to handle really any kind of defense you throw at them, I would say they are about as uh, <laughs> foolproof as you can get weapons-wise, quarterback-wise, scheme-wise. It's like I did not expect them to be held, you know, probably below 25 points, like 34 points does not surprise me at all. But I do find it interesting that Craig and I, who both, like I know the Texans defense very well and he knows the Chiefs offense very well, we both kind of pinpointed the same guy who's going to be the beneficiary of this game. That was Sammy Watkins. So it's just, it's kind of an interesting note. And, you know, for all the bootleg listeners out there, uh, pay attention to uh, distributions of man versus zone, especially if you're a fantasy player. And if you see the Chiefs are going up against a heavily man coverage oriented theme, just plug in Sammy Watkins in your lineup because he's really going to be the focused, uh, the you know kind of focused receiver uh, against these kinds of defenses. Yeah, I think well, a lot of points there. And one of the things we're going to see out of Casey this year is they're going to be a little bit like New England in years past. And I mean variable as people come and say, oh, well, it was man and they went to Sammy a lot. Let's shut Sammy down. They're they're going to light up Travis or Tyreek or that's, you know, that's the week they're going to throw 15 or 20 times to Clyde Edwards Hilaire. They're just going to be enough of an amoeba that they're going to be very, very hard to draw a bead on because they can just go almost anywhere in that offense and pick up points, pick up yards pretty much with ease. And you said Travis is still Travis. Travis Kelsey's one of the guys that got paid in the offseason big time for the Chiefs. And one of the play calls, I don't know if it caught your eye because it was really early in the game, um, but in the first quarter, that middle screen to Kelsey they ran, mm-hmm. that was a sharp little play. I like that. And there's going to be gems like that. That's one of the great things about watching Andy Reid. Um, not only is the fun plays that he pulls out every week, but I also wrote down in my notes, play calling balance was A+. It never really feels like the Chiefs are on the ropes, right? If they don't get what they want, it almost feels like it's because they missed, not because the defense stopped them. Yes, 100%. And they don't, and they don't feel like, oh, man, that was our play, and you shut it down. They're like, next. Yeah, and that goes for— ten more. <laughs> right, and that goes for Mahomes as well. I was watching the game uh, with my buddy Robert Schmitz, and he we were talking about uh, some of Demarcus Robinson's drops early in the game. Right, he had a couple ga- a couple of throws that looked like they could have been touchdowns or points or or led to points. Right, and in some offenses, that's crushing. Right, mm-hmm. the fan base, and if you are a fan of a team like this, you know what I'm talking about. Right, that one receiver drops that one ball, and you're like, that was it. 
That was the one good drive the quarterback's getting, right? That was our points, and we just left him on the field. We might as well just shuffle on home. With Mahomes, it's the other way, right? It's like, oh, you dropped two, you dropped three. It's okay. I've got four, five, six, seven, ten more in the chamber. I'm just, he never looks worried. It's just, you know he's going to drop another throw that's going to be a dime the next drive, the next play. And and he'll do it 15 yards behind the line of scrimmage, falling away from pressure. Like, you have the perfect, that's the thing is, again, you know, as I was saying, I was talking to Craig, like, we're they're playing so much damn man coverage. And so Casey was running crossing routes and just crossing routes and crossing routes and crossing routes, which are really good mm-hmm. at beating man coverage. And Houston was bringing pressure. Like they were, they were beating the protection and getting there, which normally if you're going to try to layer in a crossing route against trail technique, like you, you really got to have a good platform so you can be accurate and put it high and outside where only the receiver can get it. You know, <laughs> like Breeze, Breeze is an example of somebody who like needs that perfect platform so we can put it exactly where only Michael Thomas can get it on those deep crosses that they're famous for. And Mahomes doesn't need that platform. Like the pocket is messy. He's, you know, again, 12, 15 yards behind the line of scrimmage. J.J. Watt's breathing down his neck and he just throws a wild ass, you know, off his back foot falling away and it's perfect. Just flips. There's no, there's nothing you can do about it. No, and it's that's so frustrating as a defense. All the things we talked about, the play calling balance that it always feels like they're dictating that they are. You talked about Mahomes physically being off platform as an offense. They just don't ever feel off platform. They feel like they're dictating. They feel like they're in control. They feel like they have an answer. You know, you come up with fourth and fifteen, and you look at the Chiefs' offense, and you're like. Are they going to punt it? Right. <laughs> you know, do they have they, to punt it? <laughs> yeah, they could do this, right? You, I don't think there's any other offense in the NFL right now that you'd look at and even somewhat seriously consider that. But with the Chiefs, if they came out and went for it on 4th and 12 fairly early in the game at, say, midfield, you'd be like, I don't know, better than average chance they make this. Right, and that's we gotta We got to talk normal. to the analytics guys on analytics Twitter and basically ask them, like, hey, at what point – in terms of <laughs> should the third they stop long throwing success. no at what point should they stop punting period like yeah. at what point should you know when, when you look at their third and nine success rate like what's the threshold if we mm-hmm. project their third and long numbers to fourth down at what point do, does it become statistically a hindrance for them to punt even on like fourth and seven yeah, I'm giggling inside because of the fire you're going to start on Twitter tomorrow when you post this. But um. <laughs> I've never seen anything like it. it is, there's nothing it's, else it like is it. It is not. I think that's the point I want to make is that it's not normal. This is not normal. This much skill in play calling, balance in the roster in terms of weapons. Mahomes is just Mahomes like. I, I saw somebody the other day say, I think it was Craig actually said, stop comparing other quarterbacks to Mahomes. And you should. He's not like anybody else. And when you put all those elements in a pot and stir, it's just going to be frustrating for defensive coordinators for now and quite a while, quite frankly, because the other thing about this offense is it's generally pretty young with the exception mm-hmm. of Travis, right? This is a young and developing offense. You know, Mecole Hardman, couple years in the league. Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, a rookie. Mahomes, obviously, early in his career, sub-25. This this is not going to be an easy out for some time. And, uh, boy, for the rest of the AFC, that is 
a daunting prospect. And on the other side of the coin, uh, I just kind of offhandedly counted four drops. There might have been five because I was out uh, barbecuing some jalapeno poppers during the second quarter, so maybe I missed one, but I counted at least four drops. Mm -hmm. Uh, And the jalapeno popper story is one for a different day because I had a lot of difficulties with that. If you follow me on Twitter, you 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 know about the jalapeno popper story already. What's up, what's up pirate? <sighs> it's like I had a Final Destination movie in my kitchen today, I swear to God. But And if you think you... I'm going to let that go for like the entire season, you're so, so wrong. <laughs> yeah, I, I said it was a bad omen and I was correct. But anyway, when you, when you look at this Texans offense... Uh, I counted at least four drops by myself. You know how many drops DeAndre Hopkins has had in the past two seasons combined? Six. So <laughs> this receiving core has almost caught up in drops in one game with DeAndre Hopkins for the last two years. That yeah, is my, my takeaway from the Houston receiving core was largely Watson looked locked on to Fuller. He yes. did throw it to a couple other guys, but like Fuller is, Will Fuller is clearly the guy. Like we talk about offensive balance on the KZ side, it was the opposite on Houston's side. When Watson was having success, he was throwing to two guys. One is Fuller, and that was by far the majority. And the other we're going to talk about because he is going to be the waiver wire pickup tomorrow morning, and that's Aikens, the tight end. Yes. Uh, he had a he had a he had a pretty bright game, I would say, and that's where the success came from, largely in the Houston passing was uh, Fuller and and Aikens for a few flashes. But man, when when Watson was really doing anything, when he had a clean platform, when he was struggling, when he was running for his life, which he did a fair amount of in this game, and magically so, he is a magician at escaping pressure. He had two really terribly unlikely escapes from pressure that were you know fun to watch but they still end up being uh, not great plays but he was either going to fuller or Aikens for a few pops and all the other guys because Houston collected sort of cast off receivers in the offseason like they're going out of style didn't really do a lot yeah I it was underwhelming you know, Fuller had a drop in the first drive. It was a beautiful back shoulder ball. Like, it took mm. everything in me to not tweet. DeAndre would have caught that. But he would have <laughs> caught that. He absolutely would have caught that. Stills had a bad one on the sideline where it bounced yeah, off Stills his forearm. Was yeah. You know, I know it's, the one you're talking about. It's like, it, there's a reason why DeAndre makes as much money as he does now. It's because he catches the damn ball. Like, he makes that's, a lot of money now. <laughs> he does, but also Arizona's rookie quarterbacks, so they oh, can yeah. afford it. Not you saying know, not it, worth it at all. But I know what you're saying in terms of back shoulder, that's his bread and butter. He's yeah. got terrific hands, very few drops, and that was not present. <laughs> those those characteristics were not present in the remaining Houston receivers tonight. And it killed at least two drives. At least two. And I'll tell you what, I'm not saying they would have won the game, but at least it would have been a little, little bit more bearable to watch if those two drives were not killed and if they were turned into points. Because, you know, they, they a field goal was missed. That could have made it 23 points. If you keep one of those drives going, get a touchdown out of it, you might have put up 30. And again, I'm not saying they would have won, but at least it would have been close. 
You know, if you <laughs> if you don't throw that ugly pick where Deshaun held on, that was like the one really bad play he had where he kind of held on the ball too long and Tyron got there and affected the throw. You know, maybe if you take that pick away, you know, if you don't allow a 20-yard return on an onside kick, which I've never <laughs> even seen before, <laughs> like it just it looked they 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 were flat. They were they were they were just flat. Uh, you know, Deshaun was mostly good other than the one play with the pick, but uh, as a team, they were flat. The play calling was bad. The game planning was bad. Uh, it, it, they clearly needed preseason, uh, and the Chiefs clearly did not. <laughs> yeah, I would say one of the other things about needed preseason, that's a great segue, is injuries seemed, uh, we had four or five notable injuries from the game. Uh, Duke Johnson was one of those. Yeah. Uh, the Chiefs had three injured, uh, early, well, not early, but throughout the first half. And you're always going to see injuries in week one because, hey, the intensity ranks up, the speed ramps up, and it's just a different world. The games mean something for real. They go down in the standings. Uh, people get torn up. But this year it's a little bit different. There has not been near as much contact, live hitting, no preseason to get those sort of first cracks at other teams out. We're going to see, uh, I think, an increase in injuries throughout the first week, which is not good news. I'm certainly not celebrating that. But how'd that feel to you? Uh, I definitely think we're going to see a lot of soft tissue injuries. Uh, like I think it's going to be hamstring city in, in week one because all these guys are going full bore. Like you know, we've seen a lot of hamstring injuries in camp too. So I think that's just uh, a preview of what's to come in week one. You know, just kind of jumping from out the gate, not really having uh, any preseason games with live snaps for them to kind of get get their legs under them. And I, I, I expect we're going to see calf strains, hamstring strains, groin strains, just because a lot of these guys aren't really ready. You know, they're not in totally in football shape yet. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's, it, it might be a month before a lot of these guys are truly in shape, you know, as what we call quote unquote in football shape. Like it, it might be till October till we see some of these guys in, at full bore. Um, but I do expect a lot of hamstring injuries week one, and I could just cross my fingers and hope that it's kept to a minimum. But realistically speaking, we're we're probably going to see quite a few. And the other thing I wanted to ask you about a little bit as a Texans fan, but just as an NFL fan, do you feel uh, after this opening game like the Jordan rules uh, in terms of penalties are on for Mahomes, right? <laughs> In that he doesn't get any calls? Uh, that uh, No, that he's going to get calls. He is the superstar, half a billion, right? There was the horse collar tackle uh, call on Zach Cunningham against Kelsey. Oh, right? yeah, that one was real ticky-tack. It was like, eh, he grabbed his jersey. And, there was, and it was back-to-back, and it was Zach Cunningham the next play got a got a penalty call and I, I i just wrote in my notes you know is this the start of mahomes's version of of the jordan call right where you get the call because you're michael jordan right that's why you got yeah. the call and everybody looks at you and goes it's michael jordan yeah he's getting the call um i think mahomes is uh, and the question is is he there is he approaching there or is he there and it feels like to me a little bit He's there. He's going to get the call. He's the half a billion dollar man that just won the Super Bowl at under 25. He is the face of the NFL right now. He's going to get those calls. And as a Bears fan, I understand. I mean, Aaron Rodgers 
got the calls, right? Still gets some calls in that way. But Mahomes is reaching that rarefied air where he's he's going to get a bunch at this point. What I find interesting is like the NFL gods have a weird inconsistency in terms of determining who gets the calls and who doesn't because Cam Newton was once the young face of the league, you know, coming off an MVP season and he got nothing. He never got calls. And I, I fully I agree. I don't know he, why. It never kicked in for him. And it Russell and it never should've. never got calls for a long time. You know, every time Russell yeah. slid, he'd get, you know, speared in the side of the head and he would never get calls. And yeah. so I don't I don't but know. But he gets them now. He gets them now, you know, ten years into the it, no, I fully agree that it is that's a great point, is that it doesn't feel consistent, but at this point, again, if I was a betting man and I'm not, <laughs> Mahomes is at He's at that place in his career, in the focal point of the NFL, in anything else. If there's even a question, he's getting the call. Is there just an anti-Jordan rule where when you play against the Texans, you get the call? Because that certainly seems like it happens to us a lot. Uh, I would call that an anti-Bears rule, too, because (laughs) mostly just against Green Bay. But that's a conversation for another time. What else you got from this game before we move on to a couple of games that we're excited about in week one? Well, uh, I do kind of want to bring up, A, the week one schedule is fascinating. There's a lot of very interesting games, but you and I kind of each chose one that we were looking forward to the most. For me, the week one game that I cannot wait to see and kind of put the Texans game out of my mind is Dolphins at Patriots because I am fascinated by this Miami defense. Um bringing in Byron Jones, bringing in Noe Benogany, you know, all, you know, Van Noy, all the new pieces of the front seven. Uh, it feels like a Patriots defense to me. And I think you can call me crazy. I think the Dolphins defense is going to be better than the Patriots defense this year. I truly believe that, especially when you consider all the opt-outs the Patriots defense is dealing with and the free agency losses that they've dealt with to Detroit and to Miami, who they're playing this weekend. I think the Dolphins are going to be a top 10 defense. I would argue a top 7 to 8 defense. And when you look at the Patriots offense, you know, I love Cam Newton, but the weapons kind of aren't there. Like, I've I've been banking on Damian Harris, and he's on short-term IR right now with a a finger dislocation, I think it was, like something with his pinky. Uh, and so you're relying on an old as dirt Julian Edelman and Akil Harry who may or may not work out. You know, I'd, I'd say, you know, we're kind of still waiting on him to flash what, what they expected they were going to get of, uh, out of him as a first-round pick. Uh, I haven't seen it yet. So we're hoping that Nikhil Harry ends up good. Again, Edelman's 33 now. Uh, their number one tight end, I think, is Devin Asiasi. I don't know who won that job, but, you know, again, we're looking at Asiasi and Dalton Keene, two rookie tight ends to be contributors. Like, the weapons just aren't there. And when you factor in that the Dolphins' defense is also going to be really good, like, I, I think Miami's winning this game, personally. Yeah, it'll be fascinating. The Dolphins have given the Patriots some really odd games, especially early in the season when it's uh, still warm in Florida. Uh, This one's being played at Foxborough, but again, week one always throws some curveballs. People freak out about what I would call random results as everybody is still trying to get their legs under them. 
I'm with you. Cam is going to have to make some chicken soup out of chicken feathers with what he's got. Can he do it? He can. Absolutely. It's tough to get a bet against the Patriots at home, but the Dolphins are uh, wildly improved, certainly on the defensive side of the ball, and really feel like they're one of those teams that uh, developed momentum in the second half of last season. And there are always two or three of those teams that start off rough and then really do well for the last half or especially the last third of the previous season and then go on a roll the next season. And everybody's like, oh, we should have seen this coming. The Dolphins feel like they're primed to be one of those teams. So it's a fascinating game to see, you know, who's uh, more gelled at this point, who's going to come out of the gate quicker, um, what talent is going to play well. Again, divisional game, going to be tough. Uh, I'm with you. The Dolphins are going to have a great defense. I don't think the Patriots defense is going to be terrible. They have a lot of opt-outs for sure. The Bills defense we know is great. So that's a really interesting division defensively. So really, really cool game. Game I was looking at is Bucks and Saints. And largely it's because Brady versus Breeze. This is one of those vagaries of the NFL schedule that uh, top quarterbacks, if they are not in the same conference, don't end up playing each other all that often. They can meet in the playoffs, and they're going to play once every four years, and that's not all that often. Even if you've got a 12- or 14-year career, they may only meet each other two or three times. It's kind of the kind of the deal with Brady and Breeze. Now they're in the same division, and they're both at that sort of old gunslinger stage of their career. Very savvy veterans. Um, still have some left in the tank physically. Uh, the Bucks team is fascinating. Bruce Arians has them on a completely different trajectory. The Bucks defense is really interesting. The Saints defense is good, as we know, and their offense is full of weapons. This is just an all-over-the-board interesting game. There's not a phase of this game that's not going to be interesting to watch. Yeah, I I would say a big factor here is Mike Evans might not play. Like, he didn't practice Thursday, which is usually a pretty bad sign. And again, this is a hamstring injury, which we think there's going to be a lot of hamstring injuries in week one. I don't think he's going to go because I don't think they really want to uh, test that and then have him re-pull it and then potentially be out even longer. Luckily for them, they still have Chris Godwin. They still have O.J. Howard. Uh, they still have Bright. They still got you know, the the tandem of Rojo and Fournette, who aren't elite, but I think they're fine as a running back duo. I think you could do a lot worse than that. Um, and you still got Gronk, who him and Tom have a pretty good connection, especially down in the red zone. Like, the, the offense is going to be fine. Is it going to be as good as it would be if Mike Evans were on the field? Obviously not, but it's still going to be a damn good offense. The thing that really kind of fascinates me is... Will this Bucks defense be as good as I think it's going to be? And I know this is going to hurt you to say his name, but Antoine Winfield has been getting some of the most hype for a rookie safety that I've seen in a long time. A lot of people are saying like, hey, you should really watch this dude for defensive rookie of the year. And watching him in college, you and I would agree. Yeah, he's that kind of guy. Like he's he has a Tyron Matthew type effect on the field against the run, against the pass, against everything. Like he's a phenomenal prospect. And so far it sounds like he's going to be a phenomenal pro as well. So I'm going to be watching for this Bucks defense because of all the young pieces they have combined with some of the old veterans they've got with JPP and Sue and all those guys, you know, Levante has been around for a long time at this point. It's, it's a really nice mix of veteran leadership and young speed 
And I think they're going to give this Saints offense a lot of problems. Even without Mike Evans, I honestly believe Tampa wins this game. Yeah, I. there are a lot of things that I think all NFL fans are excited for. We have a great hunger for this season. Everybody's ready, so ready, over ready for the games to start. Now, as of tonight, they've started. We've kicked it off, but so many storylines up and down the board. We were talking before the show about which games we were going to pick, and we were like, well, we could pick this one, and this is fascinating. I can't wait to watch this guy or this matchup or this unit work against that unit, whatever it is. Uh, Buck Saints is is great. Uh, Dolphins Patriots is great. We talked about uh, Titans Broncos. Broncos injuries put a little bit of a damper on that, but it's still a fascinating game schematically. Uh, Fangio versus Vrabel. Uh, if you're talking about the sort of defensive side and then that Broncos offense that's a track meet, it just anywhere you go, there's interesting storylines. That's one of the great things about the NFL. It's going to be a really cool opening kickoff weekend. Um, Brady versus Breeze is hopefully a highlight. Um, you mentioned Godwin. He's a rising star. If you don't pay attention uh, to players outside your division, if you're not a fantasy player, Chris Godwin is amazing, and Tom's been talking him up. So hopefully they have a connection as well, and we get to see Chris Godwin go to work because uh, it would be better if Evans was on the other side, like you said, but it'll still be good as is, as will a lot of the other matchups throughout the league uh, on this opening Sunday. So looking forward to it in a huge way. I forgot to mention one more thing, by the way, since we were talking about week one narratives. And since Mitchell Trubisky is starting, which this might be the last week one ever that he's starting. There was an interesting stat by our friend Bill Zimmerman. I don't know if you saw it on Twitter. Oh God. Did you know oh God. that if Mitch Trubisky throws for 3,014 yards this year, he will move into third all-time in Chicago Bears history for career passing yards? Yes, I was aware of this fact, most notably <laughs> because, I mean, Bill's tweet, Bill is, uh, Bill's a friend, we, we appeared on Bill's show earlier this year, uh, Bill has been very kind to me uh, in all my time doing this. Uh, his tweet brings it to a head, but we were talking about this last year because if you rewind the clock to the end of 2018, right before Double Doink, right up to the point of Double Doink, Mitchell Trubisky's career was ascending. He'd had a, a very good uh, first year under Matt Nagy. I would say his first real year in an NFL offense. Um, just a quick side note. Everybody that says, oh, if we had Patrick Mahomes in Chicago, we'd be going to the Super Bowl now. And I'm like, you know that his offensive coordinator for his rookie season as a somewhat undisciplined gunslinger out of Texas Tech would have been Dowell Loggins. Yeah, good luck with that. <laughs> right. Who went to Miami and ruined a couple of quarterbacks is currently ruining Sam Darnold. You really think that Pat Mahomes would be the same guy with no rough edges that he is under Andy Reid if he'd started out under Dowell Loggins? No. So when I say Mitchell Trubisky's first real year in an offense was year two with Matt Nagy's arrival, he'd shown a lot of growth and he had a very good 10 or 11 game stretch where he played extremely efficient football. So the arrow was pointing up for Mitch Trubisky. And going into last season, I went to Bears camp last season, the overall riding sentiment from his work in camp and his you know sort of work before the exit at 2018 with Double Doink was he's going to throw for 4,500 yards, 
right? He's got Allen Robinson. He's got Tariq Cohen in your team. He's got all these weapons, Anthony Miller. Like, he's going to throw for 4,000 yards. And people started saying, you know, if he throws for 4,000 or 4,200 or 4,500, he's going to be, even then, fourth or third on the Bears' all-time list. And people were just agape. But 4,000 yards is a good season, for a quarterback in the NFL these days. It's a pass-happy league. So we were actually talking about this at the beginning of last year with really sky-high expectations for Mitchell continuing to take the next step. Obviously, week one, Packers game, first quarter, wheels fall off, looks like a scared deer for pretty much the rest of the year, minus the Detroit games, which is an interesting side note, considering their week one opponent is... Detroit and he tends to feast against the Lions but we were even talking about that stat last year because it was legitimately honestly with high expectations pretty well within reach obviously it didn't work out that way but we've already sort of had this conversation so it feels like deja vu all over again I just think it speaks more to the fact of holy shit the oh yeah that's quarterback situation terrible terrible you're a hundred year old franchise Mm mm-hmm Founding and franchise Mitch Trubisky is going to be the third highest, highest yardage passer in a hundred years. Yeah, totally agree. And most people don't know it when they talk about season uh, yardage leaders, right? You're talking about like Eric Kramer, right? Not a, not a stellar, you know, starlight name in terms of quarterback. And he had some good seasons with the Bears. He was a good player. However... Uh, if you look at the historical situation for quarterbacking in Chicago, it is not great, especially statistically. Now they've had, you know, some guys that went on to the Hall of Fame. They've had, you know, notable quarterbacks. But when you compare it around the league, it is incredibly lackluster. Oh, Bears fans are a resilient bunch. And with that, uh, I guess we can call it depressing note. <laughs> to, for, for EJ the Bears fan, you just wanted to smear the pain around tonight. Hey, that's that's hey, what you wanted we, to do. We started with depression for me. We're ending with depression for you. Uh, and speaking of depression, by the way, one last note. I promise we're going to get out of here eventually. But as I wrap this up, I do want to say, Skit Bayless, you are a complete asshole. It is completely brave for Dak Prescott to open up about the depression issues, the actual real live depression issues, not my jokey depression issues. Uh, it was so brave of him to open up about that and how it affected him after the loss of his brother. And for anyone to suggest that it shows weak leadership for Dak to talk about depression is a completely asinine comment. And I hope that he apologizes. I hope that FS1 apologizes for even airing that garbage. It's completely inappropriate. One of the worst things I think Skip has ever said. Um, and that's and a minimal- long list. And that's a long list. It minimalizes a huge problem in this country, especially in 2020, where depression has been spiking in America uh, at extremely high rates. Um, it's a completely dickish, assholeish thing to say. And I hope he apologizes. But on that note, uh, I do want to thank you all for for listening. I, I I want to say thank God football's back. We've been waiting for months and months and months for it to be back. And for the first time in a while, it feels like America's starting to feel a little bit more normal. And I'm very thankful for that. Uh, I'm thankful for all of our listeners that make this show possible. Thankful for EJ for being here with me and, and kind of 
helping me lick my wounds tonight. And I'll tell you what, buddy, three more days, you're going to be licking your wounds too because we've got Bears football back on television with Mitchell Trubisky as the starting quarterback. So I hope you're ready for that. (laughs) I'm holding out hope that Mitch against the Lions holds because he does have the Lions number. I know everything changes year to year if I have – I get to keep my glimmer of hope until they actually play. So don't be my thief of joy. Trubisky <laughs> could clean up on the lines. After that, hey, mitts are off. You can say whatever you want about Trubisky's outlook for the rest of the season. But it, it could be fairly sunny if you look back at his performances, especially against Detroit. Even last year in the in a very down season, he he cleaned up against the Lions. So it always cracks me up when the Lions fans come for Mitch Trubisky because I'm like, you do realize that he thumped the hell out of you. <laughs> and oh, you're coming for him. So anyways, I get, to, <laughs> I get to hold my hope for three days. Don't don't mash it. Plus, I finished oh. this very delicious coffee cocktail. So, uh, you know, I'm I'm in good spirits for now. Uh, you know, Mitchell throws up a zero against the Lions. We'll we'll talk. It'll be different. I remember when I was like you. So <laughs> full of hope. That was before the Hopkins so trade or a yeah, different it was time? Roughly, uh, six hours ago, I'd say. Give oh, take. oh, yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah, that's <laughs> hey, where I am right now. Yeah, 345 on a Thursday afternoon. I was feeling great. Yeah. <laughs> now look at me. Now nah, we'll be feeling great again. There's more NFL football coming. Uh, we will have our highs and lows, as will you with your teams. We will be here with you to talk through them, drown your sorrows, or celebrate your triumphs as you have them. Keep it tuned to Bootleg Football because we've got lots and lots and lots of content coming for you. And, of course, some great drink reviews along the way. But until then, keep it tight. We'll talk to you soon. Later. Later.